4: Join the conversation. Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton.
3: Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you with me. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. We should... uh have a chat if you like give me a ring um it didn't take very long for this whole story from earlier in the week to uh, change very dramatically with regard to president trump's phone call to a a gold star widow i remember because i was sitting here and i was talking to all of you i remember being here in the freedom hut and sure enough there were all of these news stories about how could Trump do this, and it's so, oh, the commander-in-chief has finally crossed the line, and everyone needs to repudiate him. And and I sat here and I said, I just, I don't don't believe it. I just don't believe it. And I have to wonder, are, are the people at CNN and MSNBC covering this story, are they idiots? Are they actually that stupid? Or are they just... So completely dishonest, uh, so lacking in principles and integrity that they saw an opportunity to smear the president and they just went with it. Because, I mean, little old me, I'm just sitting here. I, I don't have some special crystal ball that lets me see into the past or the future. I'm able to figure out, you know, it really doesn't seem likely at all. In fact, I would even go as far as it doesn't even seem possible to me that the president of the United States would call a gold star, of his own volition, doesn't have to do it, as we've already established. Some presidents do, some presidents don't. Is it even really possible that the president would have been, remember, the word used was disrespectful, not unclear, not... uh, You know, imprecise or, you know, no, disrespectful, which would signify intent. Um, And now I have to look back and think. So all of these different news organizations that ran with that story. And then the next day we had General Kelly come out and that really threw them for a loop because hold on a second on what is it Tuesday or was it Wednesday? Wednesday. Uh, You have the press all talking about how gold star uh, gold star families are are sacrosanct and and cannot be disrespected. And then the next day, General Kelly, who is a gold star father himself and a four star Marine general, comes out and gives not just his description of this whole process, this sacred process of. Showing respect and dignity and honor to those who are fallen in battle and to their families, but also says that he instructed President Trump on how to make the call and was present for the call and You could see the media was uh- oh what what do we what do we do now? Because we all look like buffoons, we look like hacks because they are. My business is full of terrible people. I just understand that right now. I will say that there are a lot of really good people I know who are in conservative media. There are also some pretty terrible ones. Unfortunately, there's of the some of the ones that are pretty well-known. Um, but there's a lot of really good people in conservative media. I know some good people in, like, far-left media, a handful here or there, but a, a lot more terrible ones. And the supposedly nonpartisan Big J journos, Big J journalists, are among the very worst because they realize that Trump is an existential threat not just to their power and their careers but to their sense of their own importance. So the day after all this happens, they you have General Kelly come out and make this statement. And now I wake up today and and I I can't I can't believe it. Although I know I can, but I can't believe it. We go from gold star families are sacrosanct and you must respect them and you must, and this is from Democrats now you and I already know this, I don't have to be told this you don't have to be told this but gold star families are sacrosanct and they're sacred and the next day a gold star father says that look, this is very difficult and and gave a speech that all Americans should hear by the way, apart from the politics here, they should just hear that General Kelly speech and we played uh, some of the most important pieces of it here on air and then the next day, I mean I wake up this morning and you know it was Friday and I finally I've been r- running around doing all kinds of stuff this week and I finally had a day where I could catch my breath a little bit and I I see that now the media has gone with yeah General Kelly's uh, 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 racist and uh, don't don't pay attention to the fact that he served his country and you know he doesn't count his his gold star dad status to the left-wing media apparently doesn't count. Oh, and he's a racist. Now, I don't know. I don't know the. Um, I don't know the woman from South. I mean, from uh, Florida, the congresswoman. But she does not strike me as somebody who is uh, wise, knowledgeable, or full of integrity. I think that's all very fair to say. Uh, she has made a mockery of herself in this whole process. But you'll see that the left-wing media is now hoping to hold up this female member of Congress as somehow on the same plane as, as uh, a, a voice that should be listened to in the, with the same gravitas as General Kelly, who lost his son while he's almost fighting for his country in Afghanistan, and the media is just shameless. They are shameless, and I see what they do over there. You know, when they think it's a bad news, and this is look, this is why I left CNN. Everybody, I'm gonna I'm gonna come totally clean with you here. I, I thought when I first got in this business that yeah, I always knew I always knew that. Look, MSNBC is like Pravda, but. Without Cyrillic letters, and and I knew that CNN was was left was Democrat, but I thought it was Clinton Democrat in the way that they would try to at least present themselves as somewhat centrist, and that at least they would respect smart conservatism, honest conservative. No, they they want a they want a they want a clown show over there, you know, honk 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 honk. You know, I'm a you know I'm a conservative. i just from here to get yelled at and get called a racist all day. I mean, that's what they want. And they managed to pull it off a lot of the time. I still occasionally, the only time I will get a call these days is, well, you know, uh, somebody, you know, some uh, chief dog catcher for who gives a, you know, what county said something really racist. you want to come on and talk about how Trump is pushing people to be so racist? I'm like, no, I think I'm going to skip that invitation. Thanks so much. But I see now that when it comes to the narrative In the aftermath of the Kelly speech, not not a lot of people getting getting airtime over at CNN to present the the real storyline, which is that journalists were just being snide little liars about this whole thing, snide. And I sit here and and I I also just I want to play it for you because. I knew this phone call existed without actually knowing that it was recorded. I knew that this was how President Trump, just from from understanding who this guy is, and I think I've mentioned it before, I actually met President Trump a few times when I was a, or at least once, when I was a kid, long, long, long time ago. Uh, His family was very, you know, he's got kids who are my age. His family is very well known here in New York City. And he actually told me once I looked like a guy who could handle himself on the street, which I always appreciated, actually. I was like 14 at the time. I got to say, for a 14-year-old, I could probably, you know, I probably, Ty, Ty's giving me the thumbs up. I probably could have, you know, taken a taken one punch. That would have been it. <laughs> I probably could have taken a punch and handled myself. I don't think I could have taken more than that. But Trump is a guy who, we all know, has a deep respect for those in the military. I'm not sure you could say he's got a lot of respect for members of Congress. I mean, there's a lot of places where we could take this discussion, and I'd have to say, yeah, you know, Trump lets it, uh... Let's it fly a little bit at some of the people in this industry or that industry. Certainly, let's goes after the media all the time, but also politicians and, you know, who speaks his mind. This is a guy who really does respect the military. That's like the one place where I just know you're not going to have this president have anything but the utmost uh, gratitude. And if there's one place where I know this president always understands the solemnity of his job as commander in chief, it's in dealing with the military. And I just, you know this because if you have the ability to, and all of you do, but clearly the media does not, right? If, if you can get a sense of a person and what their underlying truth is, then you, you would know this about Trump, as you certainly do listening to this show. I didn't know that this phone call, but now this is a different phone call from the one that was in question here. But I think it gives us a pretty good sense of how President Trump approaches these phone calls. He called a gold star, a, a different gold star widow from... Uh, uh, Ms. Johnson, he called Natasha uh, de Carr, and she is a Gold Star widow and her husband was killed fighting in Afghanistan and I want to play a a big piece of the phone call uh, for you right now and just remember that this is the commander in chief who was maligned all week for being unfeeling and unkind to Gold Star widow, Gold Star family and I'm just wondering, do you think the media is going to apologize at all? Of course not. But for those of you who voted for Trump, who support him, and who believe in the, uh, the political wave that is trying to shatter all of the lies that we're constantly told in this country, here is what your Commander-in-Chief actually sounds like when he calls a Gold Star family.
5: Yes, sir. I want
6: to thank you, um, President Trump. Those words are very kind. He was an amazing man, an amazing husband, and
5: an amazing soldier. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of my husband than I am right now, sir, to be honest with you. Um, it's what my husband wanted to
6: do. Yeah. Everyone told me i great.
0: I mean, he's like...
6: Yes, he's just an all-around guy, and um, I- I- I'm glad that you got to get to know a little bit about him and get to hear a little bit about him, sir. Um, my husband is, uh, to me, he was already my hero, to be honest with you. We've been together 15 years, five children, um, run down real quick, 2017 15, 12, and 4. My son is currently um, in college in Missouri playing football, so when I say all-around, A hero, yes. And But now it's like the world gets to know he is an American hero. So thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I really do, sir. Thank you. That is so so amazing. That's so amazing. And I'll tell you, when you're around, if you could, you know the people to deal with.
5: But if you're around in Washington, you come over and see me at the Oval Office, okay? Yes, sir. You just come over and see me because you are just the kind of family. This is what we want.
3: He says to the Gold Star Widow, your your husband, fallen in battle, was, quote, an unbelievable hero, an incredible hero, an amazing hero, a great hero. Talks to her about the rest of her family. Has real emotions in his voice as he's talking to her and is trying to connect with this woman and trying to comfort her. And then invites her to come by the Oval Office anytime she happens to be in D.C. to just spend some time with the President of the United States. That's your commander in chief. Making a phone call to a gold star widow. That's how he does it, because that's how he feels. People were lying to you earlier this week, and I know you know that, but don't forget it. Because they're going to do it again. And when they do, they're going to wonder how, you know, not to trust them. This week has been one of the single best examples of the entire Trump era of why not only should you distrust the mainstream media, you should have a healthy disdain for them. I'll be back with you in a few minutes. Stay with me.
5: I think that's a a racist term, too. I'm thinking about that when uh, we looked it up in the dictionary because I had never heard of an empty barrel. And I don't like uh, to be uh, dragged into something like that. The only thing...
3: There's Representative uh, Frederica Wilson, who... uh... Who got this whole thing started earlier this week by just acting, you know, in a disgraceful manner? Uh, But yeah, I'm glad we've established that that empty barrel is is racist. Uh, I guess also, although uh, you know, you could throw in there, does the elevator go to the top floor? Um, You know, nothing between the ears. I mean. These are about the most bland ways imaginable of calling any person of any background or persuasion dumb uh, that I know of. But not only is is she going out there saying that this is racist, that empty that the call of an empty barrel is racist, but MSNBC was taking it. I know, I know, no surprise, right? MSNBC was taking it even uh, even further. Uh, you had. Joy Reid, and I'm, I'm trying to find this uh, on Twitter as I speak to you. It was hard to, the, the, the basics of it. I mean, I, I wanted to find the, I will find the exact uh, wording that she used, but basics of it are that General Kelly is, uh, because, oh yeah, here, here you go. Joy Reid, Kelly grew up in segregated Boston in an Irish Catholic neighborhood where women were bullied, not honored, and blacks scorned and rejected. Um, so, okay, I mean, the, the Kennedys also grew up in Boston, right? I mean, like, what? So everybody, anybody from Boston is, uh, is, is racist? Is that where we're going now? Joy Reid over at MSNBC, who apparently can get away with saying the dumbest things imaginable, seems to be taken into that direction. And then also, wow, wow, wow. General Kelly didn't even give Representative Wilson the dignity of using her name. Lawrence O'Donnell, who we all know now is a huge jerk. Remember how I told you about people on the left in media are the worst? And they're, they're character assassins. Uh, they're dishonest. They have, they have no character or integrity whatsoever. I mean, virtue is a vice to the progressive media. And the more powerful and wealthier in-media people at MSNBC and the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN, these places, the more powerful they get, the more untouchable they feel they are, and then the more grotesque they act as people. Uh, here we go, though, with, yeah, Kelly is now, he, his. his <sighs> he's a racist because he grew up in Boston, everybody. And also doesn't understand how to treat women because he grew up in Boston. General Kelly has more honor in one pinky fingernail than these people criticizing him have been able to scrap together in their entire lives and you know that and i know that but i, I and i want to spend a little more time on that i know it's a friday and usually i it's a bit of a, a looser lighter show but this is this is important because a couple of days ago you had a a, a narrative the biggest story in the country was Trump doesn't respect Gold Star families. And now, that's a lie. It's not true. And we see that actually the media people that were running with that story, they don't respect Gold Star families. They don't respect the uniform and service to this country the way they were pretending to but 48 hours ago. This is a scandal. I mean, I would say that these people have debased themselves in the media, but they have no honor to protect 844-900-2825. We will take uh, some calls on this and get into a whole lot more coming up right after the break. Stay with
1: me. A congresswoman uh, stood up and in the long tradition of empty barrels making the most noise, stood up there and all of that and talked about how she was instrumental in getting the funding for that building. And how she took care of her constituents because she got the money. And she just called up President Obama. And on that phone call, he gave the money, the $20 million to build a building. And she sat down. And we were stunned. Stunned that she'd done it. Even for someone that is that empty a barrel. We were stunned. But, you know, none of us went to the press and criticized. Uh, None of us stood up and were appalled. We just... Said, okay, fine. So, I still hope, as you write your stories, and I appeal to America, that let's not let this maybe last thing that's held sacred in our in our society—a young man, young woman going out and giving his or her life for our country—let's let's try to somehow keep that keep that sacred.
3: Now they're saying. Because it's a little too much for some of them, although not all of them, to suggest that Kelly is just a liar. Now they are saying that he got it wrong. The media is the New York Daily News, the Sun Sentinel. I just go down a list. CNN, of course. Kelly erroneously claimed Wilson took credit for building funding. Who do you think has a better grasp on what the, the tone and tenor was of that whole ceremony? General Kelly? Or Representative Wilson. Oh, here's Representative Wilson again, by the way.
5: You mean to tell me that I have become so important (laughs) 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 that the White House is following me and my words? This is amazing. It's amazing. That is absolutely phenomenal. I have to tell my kids that I'm a rock star
7: now.
3: Yeah, she's a rock star now. That's who the media is lining up behind. In, in a battle between Kelly and Wilson, the media is lining up on, behind Wilson. Remember, on the issue of Gold Star families and a phone call made by the commander-in-chief. This, this isn't on, a, on an appropriations bill. This isn't on an issue of general public policy where everyone's entitled to their opinions. It's appalling. It is appalling, isn't it? Um, and then you got the, uh, the Lawrence O'Donnells of the world out there who are just going around saying that Kelly is, is racist.
0: They have more in common than John Kelly realizes. They were both born in segregated cities. They both went to segregated schools. Frederica Wilson was born in Miami in 1942. When she was going to school in Florida, the schools were segregated by law. When John Kelly was going to school in Oak Square, in Brighton, in the Boston Irish neighborhood that he grew up in, the schools were segregated by custom and practice. John Kelly never sat beside a student like Frederica Wilson in his elementary school. And I went to high school in John Kelly's neighborhood. I know the neighborhood John Kelly comes from. I know the culture. It was a neighborhood in which calling someone who looked like Frederica Wilson an empty barrel was the kindest thing that would have been said about her. And the pain of desegregating Boston schools was visited entirely upon the students who looked like Frederica Wilson and the stones that were thrown at their buses. And the eggs that were thrown at Ted Kennedy's car because he supported desegregation all came from that culture that John Kelly and I grew up in. And no one was yelling empty barrel at those buses. White elementary school students and high school students and their parents were screaming the worst possible racial epithets at those buses filled with black children.
3: What does that have to do with anything? This is a complete non sequitur. I mean, is, is Lawrence O'Donnell on shrooms or something? What is he even talking about? He said empty barrel and he's from Boston. I mean, this is like conspiracy nut stuff, right? He said empty barrel and he's from Boston and people from that part of Boston used to say worse stuff than empty barrel back when John Kelly was a kid. So therefore, empty barrel is like as bad as that. I mean, it's like you can't even follow it. It's just you know, just moving around, moving around. Okay, here we are. Yeah, Kelly's a racist. Kelly's a racist. That's what they come up with at the end of it. I mean, Lawrence O'Donnell is a, is a joke and is a jerk. And none of these people, you know, you'll notice there's some of us that they're they're very shy about having certain conservatives uh, on these shows. You know, uh, if they ever have them on, it's usually once. They never have them back again. But the the young the young gun conservatives who have a lot of debate firepower, they tend not to show up on some of these liberal outlets. You'll notice that. I mean, you can be on MSNBC if you're like a libertarian who wants to talk a lot about legalizing weed and maybe legalizing prostitution. Then they'll have you on, and so you're not a conservative, but at least you're not a far lefty, right? Uh, or Or you can be the conservative. The most job security now, if you're at MSNBC or CNN, is if you're the conservative who's like, oh gosh, you know, Trump... He's just like just it's just so much. I mean, like oh, just like I just go home and like my, you know, like my my five year old was like, "Why is Trump just pushing these policies of white nationalism on the country, Dad?" <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure your five year old didn't ask you that. But if you want to be a conservative on one of those networks, that's what you got to do. You've just gotta you've got to march to the required tune. And bash Trump, bash conservatives and and hold out for this other conservatism that's out there that you're just waiting for it to sweep America. You know, I, I don't even know what that is, like the conservatism of, of Mitt Romney or something. I mean, it's we tried. We tried. It didn't work. Um, at least I'm, we tried in terms of an election. I know. Some of you are, Buck, come on. The principles. I know the principles. Yes, I agree. And uh, Trump certainly could be. Pushed in more conservative directions at times, and he could be reined in a little bit. But after a week like this, I have to tell you, if I wasn't, if I wasn't supportive of this administration, if I was kind of a fence sitter, after I've seen what's gone on this week, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm with that Trump guy. I, I, I I'm going to ride this whole Trumpism thing out and see where it goes because I can't be with those other people. I can't be with those Democrat left wing wackos. Lawrence O'Donnell, man. It's, it's a, you know, I think he went to Harvard. Oh, yeah. No, he's, he's a real working-class hero. I think he, like, rode for the West Wing. But he won't have me on his show. He won't have – not that I – look, I don't want to go on these. I don't need to go on these shows. I don't want to go on these shows. Um, uh, you know, there, there, are the, there are the shows you want to appear on because you think it's a really smart, important conversation and you really respect the people involved. You know, there's, like, showing up on Brett Baer's show on Fox News – you know, they're showing up on Martha McCallum show. They're showing up. I mean, I could name a whole bunch of anchors over there. But, you know, it, it's a professional honor to work with them. And then there's going over and getting into a spat with some liberals somewhere. And that's only fun if you're really going to get a chance to get your, get your punches in. And the way it works on these networks is that if you're too smart, they'll either ambush you, cut your mic, or just keep you off. Keep you off the air. Because they're cowards. These people are... People are these hosts at these different, uh, at, particularly at CNN and MSNBC. They're just lazy. These hosts are just lazy. They'd rather just have somebody on who agrees with them all the time and you know doesn't doesn't bring any other perspective to the table, unless the other perspective is going to be a caricature of what is conservatism. Then then they'll have you on. You know, then they'll have on some guys like you know I just have uh, been working at a fig tag for the last fifteen years and. Um, I really think that uh, Reaganomics here could be, uh, you know, you're a racist. Oh, uh, uh, I'm not a racist. I just thought we were talking economic. You know, that's, that's what they like, you know, or somebody who just goes on who know, who's a complete ignoramus. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I just am disgusted, even more so than usual, disgusted by the media this week. It is, it is appalling. It is appalling. Dale in Idaho. He's usually a podcast listener, but he's calling in live. Thank you very much, Dale. Hi. How are you doing, Buck? I'm good. Thanks for your call.
4: All right. Hey, I got, uh, before I get started, one uh, quick movie quote for you. This is right in your wheelhouse. It's not one of those crazy westerns that they always call in with.
3: All right.
4: All right. It is. I don't step on toes, little John. I step
3: on necks. I don't know. Man. I don't have that one. What is it?
4: Chuck Norris in uh, Missing in
3: Action 3. Uh, okay. I, I know Missing in Action 1 and 2. I have to say 3 is a little outside my bail. I know Ty, Ty and Amy say that's uh, – I, I don't get a pass on this one. You got me. You got me. Missing in Action <laughs> is definitely an action movie.
4: All right. Hey, uh, yeah, it has the word action in it,
3: right? So. Exactly. So what else you got hey, for us, uh, Dale?
4: W- well, uh, what kind of uh, got me uh, up to calling in was the other day when uh, General Kelly was talking about uh, some things that his casualty officer said to him when his son uh, was killed in action. And I actually had the uh, humbling honor of twice assisting Gold Star Widows, uh, one for a uh, fellow special operations pilot that I went to pilot school with. Um, I was uh, her casualty assistance officer there. And then again, uh, when my best friend, uh, his name was Dale as well, actually. When you go out, it would be the Dale and Dale show. Uh, He was a combat search and rescue flight engineer for the uh air force uh in the hh 60s and he was killed in a helicopter crash in england a few years ago while they were getting ready to get spun up to go uh for deployment and uh, i had the honor of escorting his remains if you you don't know that um servicemen are killed overseas they get escorted once they're back to dover and processed all the way back to their final resting place which his was arlington national cemetery but Uh, We did a stop in his hometown, Indiana, and I uh, got to uh, speak a little bit at his memorial there. And during that memorial, I I did say something real similar to what General Kelly had said. Um, I, first of all, spoke a little bit about what combat search and rescue is and what they do. And uh, these four servicemen that died in that accident that night, between the four of them, they had over 300 lives saved. They were credited, credited with 300 lives saved, which is amazing, the heroic uh nature of these four people just amazing but i did talk a little bit about how dale chose to be there that night and and that's very specifically he did because he wasn't scheduled to fly that night and the other flight engineer on board was uh just getting ready for her first deployment this was going to be her first combat deployment and she was needing a little uh a little more experience and stuff and he was a very uh experienced combat flight engineer and instructor, and he took the other flight engineer off and put himself on that night, so he could get some extra help for her as we get spun up. So, in a very real sense and literal sense, he was there because he chose to be there. And uh, if that's what the words that President Trump, uh, Trump had said to that widow, that is the utmost respect that you can give the servicemen, because we have the the opportunity to do what we want. We choose to be there. We know the dangers. And we still choose to do that. And to me, that's what makes them so heroic. And that's why this uh, the special forces soldiers that were killed were so heroic. And his, his words, um, of course, were spun out of context by, uh, through political reasons, but was very on point and very respectful of that widow.
3: Well, Dale, thank you so much for your service and also for bringing your particularly uh, important and unique perspective here on this issue. Shield time, my friend. Thank you for the call. Uh, 844-900-2825 844-900-BUCK it is Friday so let's try to get some of that going too here action
2: the Marine Corps is like a day on the farm
4: heavy meals and
1: banquet
0: formation of parade I love
1: the call movie what's the matter The CIA got you
0: pushing too many pencils. Quote. You know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this?
3: Jack Burton. Me. Fridays. Thanks for the advice. Action movie quote Fridays. Love it, my friends. Let's see what you got. 844-900-2825-844-900. Buck. Much more show coming. We'll be right back. All right, team. Lines are lit here in the Freedom Hut, so let's get into it, shall we? Tom in Mississippi. Good to have you on, sir. How you doing, Buck? I'm good. Great,
2: man. Love
3: your show. Thank you, sir. Hey, man, this 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 thing
2: about uh, empty barrel being a racist comment it has nothing to do with race. It's all about being a loud mouth. An yeah. empty barrel, you bang on an empty barrel, it's really loud. You fill up the barrel, bang on it, it's not so loud.
3: Um, well, anyway. I think, I, I think empty just... barrel has to do with there being, like, no substance or, you know, because uh, uh, I think the phrase used, uh, empty barrels too, make the most noise. Meaning that, you know, it's like there's nothing between the ears, right? I mean, this is the.
2: Correct, correct, correct. And also, look, you can get those hats that she wears at the, at the carnival down the road there. All you got to do is throw throw the little ball and knock over three milk jugs and uh, you get a hat.
5: Uh,
3: okay. Uh, thanks, Tom. <laughs> Appreciate it. Daniel in Georgia. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. What's up? Daniel. Hey Buck. Hey, I I hear a I think I hear a little one in the background. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, man. How about you? I'm good. Thanks for calling in. I got a movie quote for you real quick. Let's hear it. Um Chinese have a lot of hells. Wait,
4: repeat that? You gotta get this one. What's
3: up? Repeat it. The Ch- China has a lot of hells. China has a lot of hells. Oh, big trouble little yeah. China. <laughs> bam definitely got it yeah. that's right I oh you uh know. oh, you bring big trouble little china and you better i mean I, I can pretty much tell you what the waiter says in like scene seven hour two you know i'm i'm, I'm ready to go <laughs> definitely all right man all is right, that all nice you got daniel
4: you.
3: i've got one more quote for oh, you oh another quote oh, okay he's he's all going to right. a, a twofer here okay all right they're ivory only an
4: orange pimp carries a protein revolver
3: uh, come on! Is that from know, Patton that the that movie? That's yes, that's Patton that the movie. Bam! <laughs> I am victorious. No, ten, Daniel, man, thank you, you so go, much. Man. I appreciate it. Have a thank you for your calls and have a great weekend. Um, Cliff in North Carolina, listening on the iHeart app. Hey, Cliff. Hey.
4: Hey, it what's up? when dead. Oh, okay. Uh, a quote and a question. Uh, this quote is kind of be unfair to you. you. Way before you were born, how are you going to get back down that hill?
3: Uh, uh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, don't, don't, do buzz me yet. Don't buzz me yet. Is this uh, uh, a John Wayne movie? Close. Not a John Wayne movie. Okay. What is it?
4: Uh, it was Ombre. Oh, um, what's that? And I can't remember the guy who played it. Um,
3: yeah. hey yeah. ty is throwing a flag on this one if if you, you you gotta give him more than just the it's in ombre what what is ombre about
4: um ombre was a uh, the guy uh, the star played uh, an Indian and uh he he and a group of stageco on a stagecoat were robbed and he
3: uh oh so it's like an old western money
4: back yeah and then the then the one of the bad guys came up the hill under a white flag and told him that if he didn't give him the money they'd wipe them all out and his question was. Okay, now I got your message. How are you going to get back down that hill?
3: Wow, that's a pretty that's a pretty uh, specific quote, Cliff. But you know what? I appreciate the call. I appreciate you listening, wait, wait, sir. I got wait, question. no, Cliff. That, that music they can hear the music, right? I feel like people. Go ahead. You got like twenty seconds.
4: How many quarter million dollar speeches has Hillary and Bill given since the election?
3: I think that's a very interesting point. Actually, I wonder what her speakers bureau fee has turned into now. I think you're right, Cliff. I'm going to go out there and say that there's probably like a two-for-one special on Clinton speeches these days. You get it at a cut rate just in time for the holidays. I mean, it's like, thank you, Cliff. I mean, it's cheap. I mean, you know, how are you going to pay for all these private jets unless, you know, I mean, Bill's got to be out there. He's got to be like, hey, ladies, who wants to come for a ride on Bill's G5? You know, or is it a G6? I don't even know. He's got a lot of money, though, but not as much as he used to.
4: You are now entering the Freedom Hut Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. They're clear.
3: Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. The ambush in Niger that costs the lives of four U.S. special forces is becoming a very political issue right now. Uh, this should be handled as a strictly... Uh, military operation there should be a follow-up to find out what happened and what went wrong but the left is trying to turn this into trump's benghazi that is the plan here this is not just uh, a theory that i have we can see this happening including last night on msnbc when their biggest host rachel maddow went off on a 25 minute long conspiracy tangent saying that maybe it was trump's policy with regard to the travel ban that resulted in what happened in in the loss of four soldiers in niger uh we have a little bit of that audio we won't play all 25 minutes we might play about 10 seconds but here we go
5: he, he's, he still hasn't talked about it he won't apparently NBC News reporting about the swarm of unanswered questions that the Pentagon is still trying to get answered on this attack, Uh, things as basic as where the attack happened or whether those soldiers had the right protective equipment. One official telling NBC News today that the level of confusion during and after the mission was, quote, tremendous.
3: Confusion. What do they expect answers to here that they need? Beyond what we already know, which is that there was a complex ambush of U.S. special forces operating in a country that is riddled with terrorist groups. And I'll get into that in just a second. And they did receive within 30 minutes close air support from French fighter planes, which was necessary in helping SF special forces get out of there. But yeah, they they got caught in a bad situation and we lost four of ours. How is this how is this in any way like Benghazi? And you can see if you type in Niger Benghazi, you'll start to see the comparisons already being made. They want to drag this out. They want to make this into a political circus. Well, let's just start, shall we? First of all, a quick review. Benghazi involved a US diplomat and multiple U.S. compounds under assault, one burned out and destroyed, and diplomatic personnel who were left for hours without proper backup and support. There's a whole movie about this. 13 hours, right? We've all, we're all aware that there's this movie that was made. I've heard from people who were there that night. I've talked to them about what happened. They called for backup. It didn't come. This wasn't some quick firefight that occurred, which can happen in a war zone. It can happen in a country that is dealing with indigenous terrorism. But what is the similarity here? They're, they called for help. They got ambushed. They're in a place where there are bad guys operating. This is U.S. Special Forces. This is literally what they do. They go into countries that need help, and they train indigenous forces so that we don't have to send troops all over the world in large numbers we have force multipliers that is the core a core mission of the Green Berets of US Special Forces I have spent time with SF in the field they are incredible at what they do they're amazing warriors and they're amazing teachers as well and teaching war fighting skills to our allies but they are operating, in the case of Niger, in a country that has multiple terrorist, jihadist insurgery, uh, insurgencies going on. And things can go wrong. Things can happen. There was, this is, people are saying, what are, what are we doing there? They're doing a, a training mission like they do in dozens of countries all over the world. That's what they're doing there. Why do we have U.S. Special Forces in Niger? Because... We're trying to train the Nigerian military and work with other regional African allies to defeat groups like Boko Haram, for example. To defeat groups like the Islamic State in the Sahara. Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb. These are all entities that operate in this region. Very, very bad guys. And we're trying to help the good guys get better at... Taken out the bad guys, and that is what SF is doing there. So when people are are posturing in the media, who know nothing about this, by the way, you know, who who have never even had the experience of going outside the wire in a vehicle, whether on the ground or in the air, and wondered, "Am I going to come home today? Am I going to make it back to base today?" You now they, they have no idea. You know, dangerous for the, uh, the host at MSNBC is you know, wandering into the wrong part of the Upper West Side and being too far from the nearest Starbucks. I mean, they have no idea what they're talking about. But they're saying, oh, well, what are we doing there? Well, we know what we're doing there. We, the, the mission set is clear. We didn't have U.S. special forces ambushed in Switzerland. It's a war zone, everybody. I mean, we don't have a declared war there, but there is a war between the central government in Niger and these different terrorist factions. But then you get Maddow and I didn't we don't can't play the whole thing because they're so desperate to use Niger as Trump's Benghazi. You get Maddow and others who are saying that it was because of Trump's travel ban, which put Chad on the list temporarily. And then the theory is that Chad pulled some of its soldiers out of the fight in Niger. And maybe or they're not really saying maybe they're they're insinuating very strongly this is what happened, that because the Chadian military pulled out some of its hundreds of soldiers from Niger, a country twice the size of Texas, everybody, a vast, largely desert Saharan country. One of the poorest countries in the world, top 10 poorest countries in the world per capita, Niger. And it has a lot of trouble, understandably, with keeping different parts of, of its territory from falling under the sway of jihadist insurgents. So, given all of this, you have Manow and others making this claim that, well, the chatty military got pulled out because of Trump, and Trump isn't giving us all the answers on this. I should note also, do these people not realize that a military operation involving spec ops, involving U.S. special forces is not necessarily something you're, we're, we're not going to know everything about this meeting. We're not going to know everything about what they were doing. That, that's not how it works. Oh, you know, can they tell us the names of everybody they were meeting with? And, you know, that, that's, that's never going to happen. So this whole posturing about there are all these unanswered questions, what, what, what yeah, the military needs to look at this from a, a tactical what went wrong point of view. But it's not a malfeasance. issue. There's nothing to suggest right now there was any malfeasance from a policy or a command side. I saw a report today that there was an intelligence failure. I mean, whenever we have soldiers or U.S. personnel of any kind attacked anywhere, yeah, we could have known about it. There's always some level of intelligence failure. But in this instance, they are traveling into territory where there are hostels, and they were pulled into an ambush, and they were they were outnumbered and outgunned, and they fought their way out of it, and we lost four of our own. I, I, you know, if this were Iraq or Afghanistan, we would say that well, this is terrible that we lost four of our soldiers, but there would be there wouldn't be this idea out there that's getting all this traction that. That there was some that the administration is covering this up or there's something wrong. I mean to try and compare this to Benghazi, where the ambassador was begging, we've seen the cables, and we we've seen we've had all the hearings. Ambassadors begging for more security for weeks. They won't give it to him. They weren't paying attention. And then the people in two US compounds are are screaming for help and backup, and it takes hours and hours and hours to get there. And a stand down order was given from one compound to the other, according to a person that I spoke to personally who was at the compound. So, how are these similar? I mean, this is just, once again, nothing is sacred to these these leftist vultures in the media. Nothing is sacred to them. They are just completely uh, unprincipled and how they approach this. It's always just what what can it do for my side and how can it damage the other side? If the military gets caught up in this process, so be it. I just, I don't even have, I have, I have disdain. I don't even have respect for media on the other side anymore. I tried for a long time, but I, it just, there's so many, look, individuals, of course, I judge everybody on a person-to-person basis, but overall, it's impossible to respect them. they are They're so... Gross. Such liars. Back to Maddow, back to uh, the Niger conspiracy. Oh, it's like Benghazi. It's nothing like Benghazi. It does not line up with Benghazi. The only similarity is a loss of four Americans, which is a tragedy. But that is the only similarity. There, There is no other meaningful similarity in these situations. And in the case of Niger, these were... Elite U.S. troops operating in theater. This wasn't an ambassador who was one second drinking tea, and the next second he's got dozens of jihadi maniacs jumping over the walls with AKs and no help coming, okay? I mean, we can understand how different these things are. But in case that's not enough, and it's amazing, I, I, and I, I don't... I, <laughs> Uh, you know, when I'm in here, I see I see the monitors; they're all on mute, but I, it's it's interesting, so I can sometimes follow along. And it is it is a special gift at CNN. When I was in the when I was in the CIA uh, as an analyst, and I was a I was a very good analyst. I'll tell you that I was uh, I I was very good at my job. But you know, I always really looked up to military, always. And I was a young guy, and I looked up to military, and you know even. I'd, I was a bit older, I was like 25 or 26, and I'd be out there and I'd be trying to talk to or debrief uh, a Marine or an SF guy who was a few years younger than me. And, you know, I was always, you know, sir, yes, sir, thank you, sir. And they're like, why do you, you know, and I'm like, because I look up to you guys. And the the generals, the command staff that I interacted with, and I ran briefings for generals and with generals many times, were so impressive. And such patriots. And made me so proud to, in, in any little tiny way, try to be a part of what they were doing in the war effort and serving this country. And yet somehow, CNN manages to get the least insightful senior military personnel on a regular basis I've ever seen in my life former obviously but just just over it's like they find these people just like oh you know the bernie sanders would be a great commander in chief oh well if lieutenant colonel such and such says that that must be true i mean it's astonishing i don't even know where they find them and yet they do and then oh, you know it's and and then if you challenge these people that go on cnn that have some military background you know you're you're not being respectful of, of, of service but then the same anchor will turn around and say john kelly who lost his son in afghanistan and who's a, a career 30 year Marine, you know, they'll 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 just trash him, right? All right, sorry, I, I got a little distracted for um very a little distracted from uh this Niger situation. So here's what I want you to know about Niger, that you you probably won't hear this anywhere else. And one of the things I like to do here, I try to bring you value in that I'll tell you things you won't hear from other hosts because on certain issues I just with very few exceptions, no more than other hosts do, TV or radio. And in Niger, the Chadian forces were fighting specifically against Boko Haram in the east of the country. This ambush against U.S. special forces is believed to have been the work of an Islamic State affiliate in the far west of the country. This theory that's out there, even if there was some impact on the Chadian forces deployment in Niger, Chad is uh, border borders Niger, another very large country. Even if that were true, it would be like saying, I mean, th- this is this is a- equivalent in terms of geography, my friends, to saying even roughly speaking, I'm doing this off the top of my head, that, uh, you know, there was an ambush in Chicago but some troops were pulled out of New York City, so that's why there was the ambush in Chicago. I mean, geographically, that's all you have to know. Makes no sense whatsoever. But did that stop Maddow from doing twenty-five? Oh, she's a road scholar. Great, twenty-five minutes on air last night about this. They're just clowns, clowns and liars. They have these huge staffs. One of those staffs actually do some research. Try to speak the truth, to the American people. Try to learn something worthwhile about how military operations actually function in the field, and it's, it's just incredible. So anyway, Niger is not Benghazi, and anybody who tries to make comparison is either just lying or not very bright on this issue. That's all there is to it. I'll be right back. So, team, uh, last week, I think it was, I was going to have on, uh, and he's just, he's busy, he's got his own show out in California, and we, we had a scheduling conflict, but uh, there's a, a, a former SF... Uh, former SF guy named Terry Shappert, uh, who I've done work with before at Fox. He's just a great guy. And it was a U.S. Special Forces. And I was going to have him on and we, I've been meaning to have him back. We had Jason Delgado on, who's Marine uh, Marine Recon Sniper early this week, as you know, and I appreciate a lot of you really. I'll read off some Team Buck Speaks later on in the show. A lot of you really enjoyed that interview. And look, it was great. Jason's Jason's a fantastic guy. He's an artist. On on top of being, I mean, he's a true Renaissance man. On top of being an elite Marine Corps sniper, he's also a really talented artist. So you should check out his book. Um, and he was very nice to say that, yes, indeed. I, I told him I would have him on my show three years ago. And when the book finally came out, I had him on my show because I keep my word. Um, but so Shepard, back to Shepard. he's an SF guy whom I uh, just... Can't say enough good things about personally and professionally from what, I, from what I've always known of him and, and inter- from our interactions. He retweeted Mike Simpson, who's also an SF guy. And Mike wrote the following. I wanted to share this with you. So this is from Mike Simpson, who's uh, on Twitter. Dr. Mike. He's also a doctor. Dr. Mike Simpson, who I believe is part of the History Channel's Hunting Hitler series. But here's what he shared about Niger and this whole situation. This is on Twitter. Liberals. I am. This is all a quote, okay? I am going to speak for all veterans for just a moment. We didn't, number one, we didn't enlist because we were poor, stupid, or lacked opportunities. You like to think that because it makes you feel superior, but that's not the case. We enlisted because we have a love of country and a willingness to sacrifice. Two, we are overwhelmingly Republican, so stop trying to turn us into talking points or props for your agenda, which we do not agree with three to expound on number two above the closer you get to the tip of the spear, the more right leaning we become. So that former supply Sergeant who you turn to as a quote, liberal veteran is not a good representative of our ranks. Basically everyone who is continually putting themselves in harm's way is the polar opposite of liberals when it comes to core beliefs. Show me a card-carrying liberal Democrat in special operations, and I'll show you either a case of stolen valor or the guy everyone else hates, and we probably threw his stuff out into the hallway. Four, we all knew what we were getting into. Remember when I said that we weren't stupid? So don't put our pictures on the news and pretend we were counting the days until we could take our college money and leave, that we had no idea that military exists to fight wars. We aren't victims not even of politicians. Oh, and on the subject of that, your Democrat politicians tend to kill way more of us for dumber reasons than do Republicans. Five, we do what we do so that you can be free to naively judge us, complain about the manner in which we kept you safe, uh, play a kid's game for a half million dollars a year and give us the... something. Glorify traitors like Manning who gave away footage of how we operate to enemies so that they can better kill us just so you can all live around your worthless sponge lives you continue to ask for the government and for us to do more for you in other words you're welcome De opresso Liber Mike former U.S. Army Special Forces I rather liked that message it was uh it was it was it was uh strong strong words strong words and it was retweeted by our friend Terry Shepard, who's also SF just wanted to share it we'll be right back Alyssa in Ohio, who's listening on the iHeart app, but she's also a podcast listener. Alyssa, thanks for calling.
7: Hey, Buck. Um, so I just, I'm not a podcast listener, as you said, and just this has been on my mind. It's a little offbeat from what you've been talking about, but looking at all this Me Too campaign stuff. Well, hold on, hold on you you one second,
3: talk- Alyssa. I don't think I think a lot of people listening probably don't know what you're talking about. So, what's the Me Too campaign?
7: So after the Weinstein scandal, handle, Alyssa Milano started a campaign saying, Women share your stories, hashtag it me too so we can all read about how widespread the abuse is. And so thinking about that, it's just it's kind of brought up these like anti man sentiments and I just I have a story from my life and kind of a message that I think a lot of men might need to hear and women might need to hear. So there have been some small incidents in my life that I could share with me too, but, um, like.
3: You're saying you've I been harassed?
7: Yeah, I hope, yeah, I mean, um, but what I think women need to focus on and think about is, like, in my experience, um, in high school, one time I was walking through a pep rally, some guy grabbed my butt and I turned around and he was like, said snarky, and then I froze up and then ran away. And, but what happened after is I ran into a group of my guy friends, and when they saw I was upset and asked me for a description of the guy, they immediately ran, ran around the school looking for him. Or when my dad was thought my sister was in a dangerous situation, he ran around downtown Austin with a club looking for the guy that she was supposed to be with. I'm like, It's just women need to look for those men. Don't be afraid to speak up. Find those men. Look for them, because they'll defend you, and they will um, kind of restore your faith that, you know, men are as bad as the feminist want you think they are or how you feel they are. After something like that happens. There's always the good ones. And men, if you are that good one, just know you are appreciated to the girls in your life.
3: So All right. that's what I want to say. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, thank you, for, thank you very much for sharing that. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you do. So switching gears here for a second, team, uh, with the NFL we have Tyrone here with me in the Freedom Hut. Tyrone and Amy, and uh, Tyrone. So everyone knows you were you were a sports reporter, right? I mean, this was yes. more, Yeah, yeah. So just give a little of that background before we get into the latest with the NFL and Goodell and Kaepernick and all that stuff. I
2: was um, when I started my radio, I guess, career from 2000 to 2005. I was at every Eagles game in the locker room, covering the team, you know, carrying the press conference and doing different stuff like that. So uh, when the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, I was there, NFC Championship game, et cetera, et cetera. And then there was a pause there, and then I've been doing sports talk radio. Like, you know, other than this, I've been doing sports talk radio since 2012.
3: So for those of you who are like, Tyrone is very knowledgeable about uh, about professional sports and is excellent on the radio, I'm like, well, yeah, actually, because one of the skill sets that he breaks to bear here is that he's actually a professional in that regard. So uh, so Ty, now now we've established all that, A couple of things from this week. Goodell. What is the latest with Goodell and kneeling or not kneeling and collective bargaining and all that?
2: So I I know people think that Goodell was being weak because he didn't come out and make a rule because he came out and spoke and he said we would prefer if we want all the players to stand. He made that very clear. But he said he didn't change the rule. And people said he was being weak. The reason he didn't change the rule is because he can't. Every single thing... For example, those uniform things that we've heard about and all the other things that players get fined for, those were all collectively bargained. They never thought to include the anthem into the collective bargaining agreement because there was never a reason to do it before. I mean, let's not forget that up until 2008, the players were in the locker room for the anthem. It's only been a thing for nine years total and really only, a, uh, you know, a protest since Kaepernick last season, no one ever thought to put that in the collective bargain agreement. So they can't make it a rule.
3: So this is not a dodge. It is, in fact, fair to say that Goodell's hands on this are tied at some level, that he's, it is not in his power to just say this is now a rule across the board. Owners may be able to say you're benched if you don't do this for the specific team. But Goodell as commissioner can't just be like, this is a new rule.
2: Right. He absolutely cannot because it's not violence there. I mean, there are code of conduct that in which he could, you know, supersede and make a rule sitting for whatever reason is not a, a reason is not. He doesn't have an ability to make a rule about sitting of any kind because it's not illegal or dangerous or it, sitting just isn't a thing. <laughs>
3: it's <just> sitting, <laughs> sitting doesn't scare people usually. Yeah, I understand.
2: No. And uh, about the owners, the owners could bench you, but they would have to bench you with pay. They would not they cannot dock your pay for sitting or kneeling. They can just bench you and not play you, but they must give you your full pay if you
3: Then so for certain players, obviously, that just hurts the team. It hurts the owner more than it hurts the player. At least right. for a game or two. I mean, I know they want to get in there for their stats and everything else too, but
2: Right. And that's why I will say um I'm not talking about taking a side with anthem, anthem protest in any way, shape, or form. What I'm saying is the players in the NFL have much less power than the other major sports, NHL with hockey, NBA, and Major League Baseball. This is about the only thing they're allowed to do where they won't absolutely be punished for it immediately.
3: All right. Now, what is the, the guy who started all this, what is the Kaepernick update?
2: Okay, Colin Kaepernick has filed a grievance saying that the owners colluded against him and actually included in the suit that the president of the United States statements were part of the collusion, meaning that they were pressured not to sign him by the White House and and that the owners got together and said, you know what, we're not signing this guy. Now, the uh, the ability to prove collusion is it's very difficult because he would have to prove and have some sort of paper trail that it actually happened. The one thing that helps him and the reason this case will make it to court if he keeps pushing it is because last season and he was coming off just for football reasons. I want to make it clear. He was coming off of ankle, shoulder and elbow surgeries, which is kind of major for an NFL quarterback. He was the 20th ranked quarterback overall on a terrible team. His team without him this year is 0-6. They stink without him. It's not like they got rid of Kaepernick and all of a sudden they started to win. There are currently, to start the season, there were 64 quarterbacks in the league. Remember, Kaepernick was ranked 20th last season. There's 64 in the league now in the beginning of the year. There's been injuries. There's been 75 quarterbacks that have taken a snap or been on a roster, I should say, in the NFL this year. Yet the guy ranked number 20th last year, who's in his physical prime, is out of the league. Therefore, this this case will make it to court. And I think what he's trying to do is get to discovery, not to win but to embarrass certain NFL
3: teams. Huh. So he, you think he thinks that there is real communication between NFL teams and the political side, or just he just wants to drag their names through the mud? It doesn't really matter.
2: I, I, I can say there are absolutely certain owners who went on the record, unfortunately, from tomorrow, for, for, a legal, for legal parlance, it's unfortunate, that they were going to sign him no matter what. And then the question is why? And again, Kaepernick has yet to do anything against any NFL rules, so they don't have to sign him, but he's going to make them answer the why in court.
3: But doesn't this also, mean, who, who wants to hire a guy that's running around suing everybody? I think at
2: this point, he's given up on getting signed into the NFL. I okay. Think, and I think now he's like, okay, he, he's made a decent amount of money. He's doing, doing speaking engagements. He's doing other things. I think at this point, he's trying to change the culture of the league and I think, honestly, it goes beyond kneeling. Because, again, the NFL players, the NFL and the NFL player relationship is by far the most poor of any sports team pre-Anthem. And I think this is what he's going to try to dig into. The NBA and the commissioner have a wonderful relationship. And I think he's trying to now move the ball to where perhaps the players get a little bit more say in what goes on, especially since some of these players are literally losing their lives for this game.
3: What is the chance in your mind that Colin Kaepernick, and I, I mean this pretty seriously, ends up at like ESPN, you know, with a show?
2: I actually think that the odds of him being on ESPN is slim because they have enough other, other players. Ironically, the place where he's more likely to land
3: would, be, no. would be Fox
2: Sports One.
3: Oh. Huh. Because I feel like he's now a social justice hero, and given what we've seen at ESPN in recent years, it would fit in with their mantra to have Colin Kaepernick, who was a highly rated pro. He had a couple of very good years as a pro, right? And then, Absolutely. And, and, now- and
2: after his first three games, because he was coming off surgery. I'm talking about football. I'm not talking about his politics. After his first three games last year, he was a top-10 quarterback last year, once he was healthy. He uh-huh. played really well last year.
3: Uh, kneeling is over, Tyrone. What do you think?
2: We're, we're down to six. Four, it's down to six players. It's four players on the 49ers, and they're going to kneel. So there's not – I think there's one on the Cleveland Browns and then one on Seattle. To be, Truth be told, I know this may be an unpopular position on this show, but being completely honest, if SOB doesn't get said, kneeling would be down to one player. It would be Eric Reed, who was Colin Kaepernick's best friend for, on the 49ers. There would be down to one if there was no SOB comment.
3: All right. Tyrone, everybody. Ty, thanks, man. Great to have you, as always, joining in uh, with some expert analysis on all things going on in the world of, of sports and politics and the crossover therein. And uh, with that, also, I will take us into a break here for a few minutes. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. We have uh, Kim Strassel uh, coming up in the next hour to talk to us about the Fusion GPS investigation, Democrats' are running scared on that one. They do not want answers. They do not want people to figure out what was really going on with Fusion GPS. And we also have uh, a really exceptional uh, legal analyst named Emily Campagno. You may have seen her recently. Uh, she was on Tucker Carlson earlier this week. She's making a, making a real impression over at, uh, at Fox with her analysis of the Weinstein situation. We're going to have her on to update you on that. It's crazy. The Weinstein thing just—it keeps getting worse and worse, and more and more people pulled into it, and it's amazing what that guy got away with. I always thought Hollywood was dirty and gross, and the Clintons are as gross and dirty as anybody in Hollywood, and I knew that there was crossover with them, but wow! I mean, this is the Weinstein thing—is you know, psychologically, you got to put on a hazmat suit to start talking about what's going on with Weinstein. You really do. So we'll get into that, and then some. uh, Some Team Buck speaks. We will discuss, Team Buck Speaks, and oh, and the debt, because the debt's a thing that we still should care about, and I hope that many of you are okay with me talking. I know it's a Friday, and that's not a topic that necessarily jumps to mind before you head off for your weekend, but you know, we're spending like $600 billion more than we take in in taxes every year, and we're $20 trillion in debt, and I think we have multiple massive asset bubbles currently in the U.S. economy and it's not going to keep going forever, and it's going to be bad. So we want to talk just a a little bit about just a smidgen, a smidge about that uh, in the next hour, and then Team Buck speaks. So you got the roadmap. You're in the car. Stay with me. Buckle up your seatbelt. Try not to spill on the seats. We'll be right back. Welcome back, team. I see that uh, North Korea is... In the headlines once again. Now, I I wonder at what point we just become numb to North Korea saying that they're going to drop us all in a sea of fire or whatever it is. Uh, But the administration's been taking this problem more seriously. As I've been saying to you for some time, they are trying to deal with a growing threat from... Pyongyang that should have been dealt with a long time ago, and it's only been getting worse as a function of the delays and the unwillingness of previous administrations to do much of anything about it. Yeah, I know they put in sanctions, and, okay, they have sanctions in there, but you're talking about sanctioning a very, very poor country, a country where the people are so deprived and so... uh, incapable of voicing their opinions in anything that hurting their economy is not an effective is not a particularly effective tool and i know that the sanctions are supposed to target they are supposed to target um the regime and prevent it from getting nuclear uh, more nuclear material more nuclear weapons uh, to be able to buy missile technology on the black market but we are seeing reporting about how there are preparations for a final step with North Korea. Don't know what that means, but it is it is something that gets your attention. And with, I think it was uh, Richard Haas, who was the, or maybe still is the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, I think he shared something about how he thinks there's a, a 20 percent chance of a war with North Korea. I'm just doing that from memory, so I might, I might be wrong on that, but I think that's what he said, which is pretty high when you take into account that a military conflict with North Korea would result in a catastrophic loss of life at a minimum inside of North Korea. Who knows where else? Probably South Korea, too, and probably well outside of the Korean Peninsula. Here's what Fox News was reporting on earlier today. North Korea's stressed nuclear test mountain on the verge of collapse. Uh, North Korea's nuclear tests are not only raising fears around the world, they are causing the peak under which the bombs are being detonated to suffer tired mountain syndrome. Analysts are seeing signs that Mount Mantat, the 7,200-foot-high peak under which the tests are conducted, is suffering from the geologic malady. Geologic malady? I have, that is a first. I've never heard that phrase before. This is all according to the Washington Post, uh, and that during a massive detonation that triggered a 6.3 magnitude earthquake, the mountain visibly shifted. Since then, the region, which is not known for natural seismic activity, has had three more quakes. They are doing so much nuke stuff over there, everybody, that they're collapsing mountains. That's, that's, one, way to, that's one way to put this into context, I think. That gives us some sense of what we're dealing with here with the Kim regime and I am wondering if this is an issue that may uh, resolve it may resolve itself with the implosion of the Kim dynasty I think that's the that's the only way figure out imploding a mountain imploding the dynasty I think that's the only way as things are going right now that this does not end in some kind of military conflict Uh, I've mentioned you before that if you want to get a sense of the nature, the the character, the evil of the North Korean regime. Um, you could read, uh, aquariums of Pyongyang and you can read escape from camp 14. Um, those are very, very good accounts of what it's like to be caught on the wrong side as a North Korean or the wrong side of the North Korean regime. And the it's, it's tough reading, uh, it is it is tough reading. I do not want to send you off on your weekend thinking that, you know, if you read Escape from Camp 14, it is going to haunt you. I don't think that this is like beach reading. Uh, the descriptions of what goes on there, uh, it's like it'll just stay with you. That's all I can say. I mean, I don't want to get into how, how evil it all is. But it, it does bear uh, similarities to the the most terrifying parts of 1984. So 1984 has been made real in North Korea, and it's a regime that does have nuclear weapons. And we are seeing some reporting that everyone's realizing as much as Trump has taken diplomacy more seriously or is more aggressive with trying to tackle the problem of Kim Jong-un, it's not working yet, everybody. It's not working. And we do not have... Uh, any silver bullet to deal with this situation? So I just want to keep an eye on that. I'm. Uh, I know there's also those reports about Hawaii getting ready for bomb shelters and everything. It's it's gonna get it's gonna get dicey. This is this is not gonna be something that we can just hope goes away. Uh, we got Kim Strassel joining us, to talk about GPS collusion, Russia, all that stuff. Welcome back, team. I remember. I remember when we would talk about. Government spending, like it was a problem. I remember when there were marches, there were huge gatherings, there were there was an entire political movement, the the Tea Party, concerned with spending. And here we are at twenty trillion dollars of debt, and we haven't been talking much recently about federal spending. I, I know it's it's not the not the most exciting issue. People would often rather get into the latest on the NFL and uh, whether people should kneel at the games or the back-and-forth between uh, Kelly and Representative uh, Wilson and all all that stuff, which I've been talking about here too, and I get that. But, you know, with the stock market at an all-time high and with a sense that the good times at least for those with the money to invest, which is certainly not everybody, that the good times are going to last forever. I-, I have concerns. I don't like to sit here and be there, especially, I know it's a Friday and we got a big weekend coming and I don't. Know, maybe it's a big weekend, maybe it's not. I'm, my weekend's probably going to consist of, ooh, I did, I did convince Miss Molly that we should make uh, short ribs, braised short ribs in like a white wine in, in, this, in this crock pot, you know, we're going to use some, some uh, not white wine, red wine, white wine. Buck, come on, get your game face on. Red wine and be cooking some short ribs this weekend. Uh, and no dog this weekend for me to be babysitting. So at least I can eat my short ribs without a 65-pound pit bull trying to take it out of my hand at least for a few days. So I, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend, but I know the, the debt issue is going to get swept under the rug uh, probably early next week with whatever else the media decides is the latest Trump outrage, because that's what always ends up happening, right? They're, oh, my gosh, did you see what Trump did? He's so terrible. You know, Bernie Sanders shows up. He's like, he's, he's, well, he's the worst. I mean, he's, you know, he's trying to destroy America. You know, and Hillary's like, ah, what happened? And you just got all these different Democrats, Chuck Schumer, uh, they all show up and, They just say that Trump is the worst for whatever reason, and they don't let us focus on the issues. Like, for example, this piece from CNS News just came out today. Real federal spending in fiscal 2017, which ended on September 30th, was higher than in any year in the history of the United States other than fiscal 2009, which was the year that President Barack Obama's $840 billion stimulus law was enacted. Fiscal 2017 also saw the second-highest real federal individual income tax totals of any year in U.S. history, according to the monthly Treasury statement released today. Total federal tax revenues were the third-highest in U.S. history. And here's the real kicker, everybody. While it was collecting the third-highest total tax revenues in the history of this country, the federal government ran a deficit of $665 billion, $712 million because of its high total spending. My friends, we are spending almost three quarters of a trillion dollars more each year than the government, which is taking in more money almost than at any other time in our history. We are spending almost three quarters of a trillion, I mean, you know, six, six, five. So two thirds of the way there to a trillion dollars, more than half. Why do we think that this is just going to continue forever? You know, I, I, I work with some folks, uh, in my, uh, in my uh, outside radio time who are finance experts and I'm, I'm learning a lot from their research and spending time with them. And, I know that the people who really know right now what's going on with this whole system all agree on one thing for sure, and that is that this cannot continue as is. That you know, what goes up must come down is still applicable, and in the circumstances of federal spending, this is going to be scary. and And no one wants to be the one to say that we're running out of beer at the party. It's time to turn the lights on and send everybody home, right? Everyone just wants the party to keep on going. But mathematically, it is a certainty that this will end. It is just a question of when and how badly. I know lots of folks who are uh, very savvy in finance in the marketplace, and they're, they're talking about how, the, how there could be a major correction in the stock market, and who knows what that even looks like. Who knows how bad it is? How many people were really warning about the possibility of a complete collapse of our financial system in two thousand and six? Very, very few. When was the last time that we had this feeling of economic exuberance in the country? Now, I look. Some of it is just because Trump is not trying to bankrupt businesses to keep his climate change cronies happy, right? We we get this. There's a change in administration. A lot of it's very positive. Trump certainly didn't spend $20 trillion, right? That's cumulative over every presidency before his. And the Obama administration, no question, just went went crazy with spending. But the problem is what the problem is. And to ignore it is not really an option. Uh, We may think it's an option right now because it's going to be more popular. And this is where a uh, representative democracy like ours, right? This is where a republic I know. People, it's not a democracy. It's a republic. One of the favorite things you'll see on social. I know, I know. We have a democratic process, but it's it is a, uh, it is a we're a republic, not a democracy. But this is where you start to see the problems. Uh, the systemic problems within our system. Which is, the, If people want to believe that everything is great, the, the, the individuals who will represent them and who can actually make decisions about spending and about the debt and where all this is going, they... It is in their interest to tell voters, to tell the American people what they want to hear. It's not going to be fun to, to be the one who says that the party's going to end. It's not going to be fun to be the one who says that this is a, um, a situation that will end in a massive economic dislocation if we don't, and I don't know, dislocation is way too much of a euphemism, a crash an eradication of wealth on a large global scale. Uh, What happens if the U.S. economy really starts to come apart? It will affect the economies of every other country around the world. What happens if our our currency gets into real trouble? This was in the minds of conservatives just a few years ago. I mean, it it was the forefront of our minds. And I know that Trump is president and not Hillary. And I am happy about that every day, too. But how did we go? I mean, those of you who are listening who are conservatives or right of center or just, you know, just listen to me because you like the research or the funny voices, whatever it may be. How did we go from this is a critical issue that we must address? It is for our children's future. It is for our children's children's future. There were books written about this. Oh, people, conservatives sold so many books. Oh, the, the, the coming debt crisis or, you know, robbing future generations. We're going to have the Great Reset, the, the economic jubilee or, you know, whatever. That was all taken as fact by conservatives a few years ago. What, what has changed? Well, I'm here to tell you that what has changed is that it's only gotten worse. We've only gotten deeper into the hole. We've only gotten more accustomed to enormous amounts of government spending. We've only decided recently that spending over $660 billion beyond what we take in in an already very highly taxed system is just no big deal. I I would like to see the administration, I would like to see the conservatives, who are still sometimes with Trump, sometimes not, rally around this issue, at least. Because this is about the the very survival of our economy over the long term. All right, we're going to talk about some legal stuff coming up here. I know it's a bit intense for a third hour, but uh, we'll be right back. Stay with me. All right, team, I haven't really given you much of an update on the Harvey Weinstein saga recently. Earlier today, I saw that the top 10 trending stories on The New York Times at one point were literally every single one of them about Harvey Weinstein. This is not going away. And now, as we've said, a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon and wanting to make... Uh, their statement about how they didn't say anything then, but they want to say a lot now. But what does it mean from a legal angle? We have Emily Campagno on the line. She is a legal and sports business analyst, attorney, uh, and former NFL cheerleader. Emily, great to have you.
6: Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
3: All right. So Harvey Weinstein is possibly in actual legal, criminal legal jeopardy here. Tell us how that works.
6: Right, so just like you mentioned, there are so many different tendrils and trending topics to this story in part because of how pervasive his frankly predatory behavior was. And so what that means is that literally four different states at this point are investigating him and the UK. So it's first of all not just within the United States borders, but also includes a different country. Now, certain laws affect each state's ability to prosecute and Basically, Los Angeles County right now is investigating claims that of rape in 2013. This is really important, frankly, because of the statute of limitations. Now, in California, the statute of limitations for rape was extinguished in 2016. But what matters is the one that was in place at the time of the crime. And after the Catholic Church abuse scandals, they also enacted a, a set of laws that enables people to sue people who knew about the abuse and had a relationship to the victim but failed to take mitigating or reasonable steps to stop it, basically. So that means, you know, all of those agents, the people you talked about that are now coming out of the woodwork, to say that they knew about it and to apologize now, well, they are potentially on the hook. But that statute of limitations is just one year. And importantly, A, the U.K. does not have a statute of limitations for sexual offenses. So, in fact, in 2014, after a highly publicized trial... They incarcerated a man for 12 sexual offenses that occurred 46 years prior, and Harvey Weinstein is being investigated in three or four, three different allegations um, of rape, like three different victims. And then Utah, last point, Utah has a legal loophole, essentially, and it's called absentee tolling. And although they, too, have done away with a statute of limitations for rape as of 2008, they basically have this one law that stops the limitations from running while the accused is out of the state. Because Weinstein spent most of his time in California, it applies here. So I can get more into the technicalities with any listener that wants to talk about it. But basically, long story short, Utah has a potentially right case to prosecute Weinstein for Rose McGowan's. Rape at the Sundance Festival in
3: 1997. Speaking to Emily Campagno, who is a legal and sports business analyst and an attorney, uh, which of the allegations against Weinstein, you, I mean, there's there are so many that it, it is literally difficult to keep them straight, even for people who are watching this, uh, this situation and these possible charges very closely. Is Rose McGowan, is that considered the, the most damning, the most likely to possibly see trial? Do we have any sense of that yet?
6: I personally would say yes to that. And then also the Los Angeles 2013 rape, um, who is actually was an Italian citizen, and she we do not know her name yet at this point. Um, and I think that those two are the most, because those are the two most legally sound for prosecution at this point. That's what is so difficult about these crimes is so many of them when unreported to the authorities, obviously, for so long. So it becomes difficult to prosecute from an evidentiary standpoint, right? You know, not only are there cooperating witnesses that sometimes fail to testify here, you would hope people would. But again, given the laws that, for example, are in place in California, people might be afraid of their own liability. But frankly, evidence can be, can pale after a while. It can become stale. And then in terms of what's actually presented at trial, It's not necessarily a slam dunk, even though in the court of public opinion we feel a certain way. But to me, it's necessary. The chance of a motion succeeding on defense's behalf, or of a wayward jury not being convinced—I mean, to me, that is all worth the public message these DAs would send if they actually brought charges against Weinstein. No, no, this is see that here.
3: This is more of a of a just a public perception and the continuing conversation aspect of this, but. Quentin Tarantino has gotten pulled into this discussion. Uh, what can you tell us about that, a very famous Hollywood uh, Hollywood director?
6: Yeah, exactly. So he's an example of someone that, you know, before this, everyone respected very much and continued to do so artistically, I'm sure, but basically came out and said, "Yes, I heard about it and that yes, I have a complicated relationship with this man and yes, my success depended on part in part on his." And there've been plenty of of female, for example, um, females who have written written and stated that they learned about it and that humans are complicated. And so how would they throw away a long-term relationship? Or maybe they didn't realize the extent, but I think it it bodes horribly, frankly, in public opinion to feel like they've been let down by a lot of people that they look up to. And also to people that before then were maybe champions of a cause or actual advocates for feminism. I, I know Many people find themselves disappointed in hearing exactly who did know, did nothing about it and or stood by his side regardless
3: and Emily, what can you tell us about uh, the latest i mean this is just this guy is clearly does have some kind of a problem i don 't know if it's clinical or pathological or but but we're seeing here that Harvey Weinstein is apparently not even taking his uh sex rehab seriously he, he's being a he's a problem even there
6: it doesn't surprise me at all you know this guy was a megalomaniac obviously he's a predator he's a monster and all of this was about a power play um i have you know i can't speak to the mental health aspect about it i am not a mental health practitioner but to me no it was obvious from the beginning that he was fleeing some type of public court responsibility from the beginning and the fact that that on Tuesday he called in from his quote unquote rehab and demanded to the board that he be let back on the board you know he he protested his termination he said he's going to sue he pointed to the clause in his contract that he says allows him to cure this misconduct by paying it out while not realizing that you know no court will protect that clause by the way also for these listeners Weinstein had a clause in his contract that said as long as he pays out settlements, unless he is indicted or charged with a crime, he cannot be terminated by the board and, in fact, can only go to arbitration or mediation. So he's arguing that. He is arguing the fact that he was terminated by the board. But I will say that no court will protect that because, in essence, it was a clause to protect illegal behavior, and the courts are loath to do that. So to circle back to your original point, none of this he is taking seriously no and we saw him say to the press for example i've made a mistake quote unquote i look forward to a second chance quote unquote i'm sick quote unquote. i mean these allegations go far beyond sick and a mistake he is a monster
3: emily Compagno everybody uh fox uh, i'm sorry legal and sports business analyst although I, you do do fox on a regular basis where can people go to follow your work and see more of your analysis
6: Absolutely, I'm on Twitter at at Emily Campagno, E M I L Y C O M P A G N O. My website is emilycampagno.com, and I look forward to hearing any questions anyone has.
3: Thanks so much, Emily. Have a great weekend. We appreciate you joining us.
6: Thank you so much. Take care.
3: All right, team. Uh, we are going to hear from. We're doing a lot of legal this hour. We've got uh, Kim Strassel. Coming up here next to talk about the investigation into Fusion GPS. Remember Fusion GPS? They were that group that was tied in with the Russia dossier, the dossier that was published by BuzzFeed that had all kinds of really gross, icky stuff in there and was, from what we are told, taken somewhat seriously by the FBI, as shocking as that may be. Uh, There's something going on here for sure. There are. Uh, issues afoot and also when you add in the uranium one scandal and the administration before this one's clear desire to avoid getting to the bottom of what was going on with russian efforts to influence and corrupt uh, the nuclear energy sector in this country there are these these are not these are not conspiracies that uh, people are making up these are actual conspiracies there's real stuff going on here with all of this and some very, very powerful forces that are trying to prevent us from getting to the truth. But we'll continue to stay on all of that. And uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK, if you'd like to call in. we we'll back with Kim Strassel of The Wall Street Journal in just a minute. All right, team, there are a lot of investigations going on of all kinds right now down on Capitol Hill. There's all that stuff into... Uh, Russia that we've been talking about as we have to as we go along here. But what about a different kind of collusion, a different possibility of collusion? You have Kim Strassel on the line now. She is the author of The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech. She's also a columnist at The Wall Street Journal, a member of the journal's editorial board. She's got a piece out the fusion collusion. Democrats are trying to protect Uh, fusion gps is secrets so the gop should keep digging kim great to have you back
5: it is great to be here buck
3: can you give us a quick primer on fusion gps for those who don't spend all day reading about politics and all this stuff what is fusion gps
5: well if you've actually never heard of fusion gps you're luckier for it but um, fusion gps is a opposition research firm Mostly works for left to center and liberal clients. So its job is to dig up dirt and then do smear jobs on political opponents. And more recently it's been in the news because it was the organization that Um, commissioned this dossier that's full of all of these unsubstantiated uh, and, in fact, discredited allegations against Donald Trump, uh, allegations that help feed into the probe that is now going on uh, into whether there was any collusion between the administration and Russians.
3: Now, what's happened with the Capitol Hill inquiry, the investigation into Fusion GPS as of this week?
5: Well, right. I think Republicans in both the House and the Senate have said, yes, it's good that we're looking into any possible questions of, of White House collusion. But it's important that we also understand this organization and how it got uh, how it decided to uh, hire um, this British intelligence officer named Christopher Steele, who then relied on Russian sources to put together this dossier. Um, and and whether or not our law enforcement ended up relying on a document that was essentially Russian disinformation. We don't know that, but that's what they've been investigating. Um, The problem they have had is that Fusion is acting like this is a national secret. It has refused to comply with subpoenas. It's uh, now taking Congress to court over Congress's decision to subpoena its bank records. It refuses to say who hired it to do this or where it got its money or who it worked with.
3: How can it do that? I thought Congress could put them under oath and be like, hey, you got to talk to us.
5: Well, amazingly, Fusion is claiming uh, a First Amendment right to engage in opposition research, which is a, a pretty extraordinary reading of uh, the First Amendment. But it's also convenient because, look, what, one thing the First Amendment absolutely does not cover is, uh, you know, foreign influence in an election. And if it comes out that fusion was working with or for Russians in any capacity or or work in some way to put together this dossier, the First Amendment certainly does not protect it from providing that information. Congress is absolutely legitimate in this inquiry. um, And I, I think the court case fusion has filed has Almost no merit, so with any luck, it will be thrown out soon. But if they still continue to refuse to testify or turn over documents, I think they've got no choice but for the House to vote to hold them in contempt.
3: And how can we know that Democrats are circling the wagons here? What have they been doing and saying down in D.C. to try and uh, protect Fusion GPS?
5: Well, it's absolutely overwhelming, because it's just something that the press won't cover, though. So, for instance, uh, going back this summer, there was a a man named Bill Browder who was set to testify and talk about some of the scandalous things that Fusion GPS has done in the past and its ties to Russia, Um, and Democrats actually uh, invoked this parliamentary maneuver in order to at least temporarily uh, block him from speaking. Um, This week, Fusion came in uh, to uh, a briefing at the House Intelligence Committee. Um, uh, It was a private one, so not public. And when Republicans went to question them and ask them things, uh, which, by the way, they took the fifth on every single question. But just as Republicans started speaking, uh, Democrat staffers interrupted them, accused them of uh, ethics violations and accused them of berating and hectoring witnesses. Wait, wait, wait. Hold
3: hold on a second, Kim. Staffers? Did I hear that right? Staffers. Staffers?
5: I mean, this is how this is like interns
3: throwing spitballs at like senators during here. This is crazy.
5: Yeah, it's crazy. It's unheard of in Washington, but it gives you a sense of just how desperate Democrats are. And uh, but it also gives Republicans some confidence that they are circling the t- right target here and that i mean the other thing is democrats have just been leaking things from the intelligence committee right and left and trying to smear Devin nunes who's the chair of the intelligence committee all to get him to to walk away from this probe where do you think this is
3: going kim I and mean, what are the what are the competing narratives or, or the possible theories and by the way we're speaking to kim strassel of the wall street journal uh, kim what what are the possibilities here for the, how the fusion gps caper ends
5: Well, I want to stress that this is just a possibility because we don't know the answers yet. But what if, you know, right now, the entire narrative for almost a year now has been, uh, did the Trump White House collude with Russians? And, of course, so far there's been zero evidence of that. Not that that stopped Bob Mueller from continuing to call every person and their dog in to be interviewed by the special counsel. But what if, rather than that, the story here is that Democrats... Uh, Some Democratic organization, we don't know because Fusion won't say who hired it, uh, hired Fusion to go put together a dossier on Trump, and that dossier ended up being uh, relying on Russian information or Russian disinformation because we know that the spook who put it together over in England relied on Russian sources. What if the Kremlin was aware of this project? What if they purposely tried to put people in a different direction? And then what if our law enforcement used that, and this entire probe and the entire so-called scandal into Trump was, in fact, engineered by Russia with the help of Democrats and this opposition research firm? Now, that, to me, would count as definitely interfering in the American electoral process by Russia, but it wouldn't be Republicans on the hook for it. It would be Democrats.
3: Kim Strassel of The Wall Street Journal, everybody. Actually, wait, Kim, before I let you go, can I just ask, uh, there's been a lot of crazy stuff this year with what journalists have been willing to say and do, and uh, I've, I've never, in my lifetime at least, seen... Uh, so many people one day claiming to be n- nonpartisan, straight shooters down the middle and another day claim that they can say whatever they want about Donald Trump and act like we're not we're not supposed to recognize this dichotomy or this problem. Um, so can you just tell me, if, if you wouldn't mind, what do you think about what's going on this week with the way the media was initially reporting the Trump phone call to that gold star widow, uh, Miss Johnson?
5: Well, I will tell you, it makes me ashamed of the journalism profession and to even say I'm in it. I mean, that we have reached a point where you have journalists calling around other Gold Star families, uh, trading on their grief in an attempt to gin up an ugly story about Donald Trump. Um, and some of the, the pushback to what was an incredibly powerful and moving speech by John Kelly yesterday that should have left the press court chastened and embarrassed, but uh, I, d- I doubt very much, Buck, that it's going to change anyone's view, because look, you spend time in Washington, too, and this press corps has uh, got it in its head that this is a bad president, it's their job to take him down, um, and nothing really is going to divert them from that course.
3: All right, everybody, Kim Strassel of the Wall Street Journal. Check out our latest at wallstreetjournal.com. Kim, great to have you. Have a fantastic weekend.
5: Thanks, you too.
3: All right, team, we've got more. Stay with me. Welcome back, team. It's time for our Friday edition of Team Buck Speaks. I just want to say before I get into your messages from Facebook that the show has been doing really well and growing, and we've had a great now, gosh, going on nine months on air, and it's because of all of you, Uh, each one of you who tells a friend about the show, shares it on your Facebook page, passes it along to somebody in Your orbit, somebody that uh, you just think might enjoy what we do here. And there is no higher compliment you can pay the efforts uh, that I put forth here, as well as uh, Tyrone and Amy and, and everybody who's helping me over at Premier Networks, than to suggest that somebody else might appreciate what we're doing too and to pass along to them. So that's why I always am telling you to please download the podcast because I feel like if you have the podcast of Buck Sexton with America. Now you can play it for somebody. If you happen to be out hanging out with them and they want to talk about something and you know that we just hit that on the show or if you feel like you want to uh, show them what the iHeart app is all about, if we're not in their market, then that would be uh, great too. So the iHeart app is a really convenient way to listen to the show as well as any other stream on the uh, iHeart network, which is a vast uh, audio network. Uh, So please do check that out. And there'll be more uh, uh, stations that are carrying us going forward, too. So some of you who are used to listening via digital means may be uh, picking us up old school in the car pretty soon. And that is only because of all of you. So I just want to say thank you so much for uh, being as supportive as you have been as we've been going along here. And I've been having a great time doing this show. And I think the show is just getting stronger all the time in all respects because of all of you with that said let's get into some team buck speaks now all right we have a message here from william via facebook i grew up in the south in the country we were taught to fight my dad always said if you think you're about to fight throw the first punch this translated well into combat i got into my first firefight on october 16th 2003 on MSR Tampa between Baghdad International Airport and Abu Ghraib Prison. And what Jason Delgado said, my first year prepared me for the second year. My second year, my mentality was, I'm dead already, so my fear left me. This Marine Scout sniper Delgado is right on. He's telling my story from a different point of view, best guest ever. And by the way, I serve with plenty of y'all so-called tough guy Yankee New Yorkers, Us Southerners and Pacific Islanders and Puerto Ricans and immigrants are also tough SOBs. The Northeast City folk don't have a monopoly on being tough, but I do appreciate and love all y'all Yankees. Well, William, thank you for your service and thank you for your colorful message. Jennifer writes in with the following Hey, Buck, great show yesterday. The interview with the Marine vet was very interesting. It's important for people to hear their stories. And I really wanted to thank you for speaking out on your pro-life stance. So many people on the pro-life side are hesitant to discuss the topic for fear of losing listeners, followers, and supporters. I'm sure you saved some unborn babies' lives yesterday. God bless you. Well, Jennifer, thank you very much, and I appreciate the uh, support a whole lot. We have Don writing in with the following, My golden mix was simply left in my yard because his family sent him to the Nebraska Humane Society. At nine months, he was afraid of people, no confidence, and ran away any time he could escape. This is his picture in his role as anxiety relief dog to seniors in need of comfort. Can you feel the relief he provides to these seniors? And there's a really nice photo of this uh, golden retriever. Uh, I'm sorry, golden mix, a mix golden uh, that is hanging out with some seniors and, and making sure that they are getting some good time with a, a wonderful canine. Don, thank you so much for your message, and uh, great dog, and I'm glad it's all worked out for you. And now we have Flo writing in. Hi, Buck. I turned into 11.50 a.m. the Patriot Station to listen to your show around 11 p.m. last night. Much to my surprise, I heard an unfamiliar unfamiliar voice. I'm in Southern California. I just checked. They changed your time, spl- time slot to 6 to 9 p.m. Dang, you're the best, Buck. Well, Flo, thank you. I think you're the best, and thank you so much for... Uh, writing in. I appreciate it. All right. Now we've got Robert writing in. I just want to know why someone, the conservative centers aren't pushing back on, or some of the conservative centers aren't pushing back on this bipartisan health care bill. Why don't they raise a stink on this? They could point out that the Dems blocked any effort to give the people more control of their own health care, but can't wait to give more money to the greedy insurance companies that keep jacking up premiums. While this may be a stretch that has never stopped the Dems or the press. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know why more conservative centers. I, I'm I'm confused as to what Congress Well, no, I shouldn't really say I'm going to Congress is confused about what Congress is trying to do or going to do on all this. At least the Republicans are. And they have not been able to figure out what the future is for our health care. And that's on them. Uh, I wish I could say that I had faith that it would get much better, Robert, but I think that unfortunately it's going to continue as is. Um, all right. Uh, Karen writes in, appreciate your forthright opposition to abortion. You may be interested in an effort to get the Supreme Court to overturn California's law AB 775, which requires pro life centers to refer for abortion. Uh, no need to reply to this. All right, Karen. Well, thank you very much for your note. Uh, Steve writes in the following. Um, I remember people banning books from school libraries like Catcher in the Rye and others for offensive language and sex, uh, etc. Um, I, I don't remember that. Is that a is that a recent thing? It seems to me that that's uh, a while back. Uh, or I mean, that's a, a recent phenomenon of people banning books in school libraries. But I, I haven't been around that long. So maybe uh, maybe I mean, Catcher in the Rye. Uh, I think it's kind of, it's a little overrated, isn't it? But I digress. All right, we have Rob writing in with the following. Hey, Buck, I agree with you about having a Kurdistan independent state. If you know this, don't, if you know this, don't you think Mattis knows this? Maybe the Trump administration is being coy and not telling our enemies their plans. Shields high, high, brother. Yeah, that's very possible, uh, Rob. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what exactly the administration is doing behind the scenes. I did read a report today that we are trying or the the administration was trying to get the Iraqis to back off the Kurds in Kirkuk. And it and it didn't work. And this is one of the problems you run into is that it's all fine and good for someone like me to say there should be a political solution. Let's find a political solution. We don't want the Kurds and the Iraqi military shooting at each other. uh, But. There are people on the ground that actually don't mind if that happens and are pushing for it. And it's much easier for them to get their way than for my idea of a political solution to just come in and solve everything. So we shall see. Uh, Chris writes in. Um, Would you consider ever think of doing a segment on the lifeline of this country, American truckers, what we go through and how badly the government intrudes in our lives? Uh, Chris, I I know I responded to you on Facebook here about this. We'll certainly give it some thought. Uh, Truckers listening to the show, I very much appreciate what they do, and they are an important uh, economic lifeline for America. And if I had some expertise in the subject or somebody with expertise who wanted to call in and talk about some of the challenges facing truckers in America 2017, I'd be happy to take those calls. Uh, So thank you for sharing your thoughts on this. We have Rick writing in with the following buck. I want to say thanks for a great show. More importantly, though, have you figured out a dog yet? I recommend a pit mix. I came home to twin pit lab mixes one day, and they're the best dogs I've ever had. We wanted to get another dog to keep our Newfoundland, not really apartment friendly company. The owner didn't want to split them up because they're so attached to each other. We're glad he didn't. There's a lot of them near you. Um, Okay, and thank you for this. He gave me a second chance rescue NYC dogs as the link here, and I'll certainly check them out. I think I'm already scheduled this weekend uh, with Miss Molly to go check out some dogs. I think that's already uh, supposed to be happening, at least to go visit some possible foster dogs. So we will see how all that goes. I will note that I have a couple of good friends here in New York City who just got puppies and puppies are a lot of work you know my mom had to deal with both of my f- family dogs really you know like to think that we pitched in. it was really on our own and puppies are a lot of work they're the greatest they're so cute love puppies but they 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 require a very rigorous schedule and a lot of training uh with that i will let you uh, get going with your weekends uh Appreciate you very much joining me here in the Freedom Hunt. Uh, go to bucksexson.com slash store if you'd like to pick up some gear. Uh, Going to have a great show on Monday and all next week, I can assure you of that. So get some rest this weekend. Recharge those batteries. I'll see you next week. Shield high.